The latest Disney Pixar film is probably sprinting through a theater or a red box near you. And should you be sprinting to see it? That's not really what we talk about on this show. We're really <laughs> to get deeper than that. But we're here to talk about Onward. Yes, we are here Chris to Pratt, talk about Onward. Tom Holland, Julie Louise Dreyfus. Yes. In Others. This, yes. And Others. the best animation voice performances of all time. What is up, my nerds? Welcome inside Pop Culture with Fanboy and Know-It-All. I'm Jake. I'm Paul. Welcome back inside our crazy brains. Poof. What was that? Was that, that was our crazy brains. Disappeared? Vanishing? vanishing? It's been a long day, Jake. Or was that long day. into our crazy brains? <laughs> Could go either way. That was, that was all of my coherent thoughts going up in smoke. Just gone. Up Right now, you're going to have to carry this one, Jake. All right. Well, there's a lot of there's a lot of anticipation, I'd say, for Onward. Yeah, because it's sort of coming out uh, as we're exiting the winter, the cold winter months of right. January and February when all the terrible movies come out. Exactly, and it's Disney Pixar. Disney Pixar. Pixar has a fantastic reputation. It's Chris Pratt and it's Tom Holland and it's Julie Louise Dreyfus, who's had her own renaissance and put herself back into. A prominent place through things like HBO's Veep, uh, Will Ferrell movie, Downhill. Correct. And now Onward. Yes. Where she lands with two megastars in Chris Pratt and Tom Holland. Two Avengers in this movie. That's right. Hmm. So we're going to talk about that. And then we're also going to talk, we're kind of thinking about this voice talent yeah. in this film. Yeah. Who are the best voice talents we've ever seen? Because it takes a lot of talent to do some of these things, yeah. you know? I think uh, it, we've gotten a little bit spoiled as of late because it used to be that you would actually have, like, voice talent. You would not see them in other movies. You would not see a Chris Pratt or hear a Chris Pratt in a in a cartoon. Right. You would have people who were actually trained to do that sort of thing, and they were they were doing their thing, and it was great. And now you have all these celebrity voices that are sort of filling in, and they also do a great job. Yeah. It's just sort of interesting. Back it takes it takes some talent. That's right. I mean, back in the day, it was your your Hank Azarias, exactly. You know, maybe if your was, Mel Blanks, your Mel Blanks, your your Seth MacFarlane's before he transitioned into being an actor in real life somehow. Mm, I have nothing good to say about Seth MacFarlane ever. He's a talented voice actor. No, he is. He is, and and he yeah. I mean, how many? Uh, he did so many of the voices for stuff like Family Guy, and he did some good voice talent work even if you don't particularly care for and know, ted ted other stuff i never saw ted yeah well you don't want to see ted but no. the voice was pretty great so there's there's uh, i think it's one of those things where yeah in this sort of day and age we've commodified it and turned it into a marketing thing to say will smith is a pigeon exactly and oh this the shark tale has will smith and a bajillion other celebrities and it doesn't they're not necessarily great voice talents Exactly. They have a voice. You recognize them when you hear them, and there's something to be said for that. But That's sometimes right. they're not great. That's right. But we will talk about. They are. We're going to talk about the good ones. We will talk about the good ones. That's right. But first, we're going to talk about onward. Onward. Onward 
we go. Onward. Yes, into onward. the podcast. Onward into the podcast. Paul, you said you were really looking forward to this one. Like this one came up on a previous podcast as one that you had a lot of anticipation for. I think you brought it up as a most least important thing. I think based I did. on the trailer. Based on the trailer. I thought, you know, here's the thing. Ever since Pixar has been doing their thing, beginning with Toy Story, 25 years ago, 25 years ago. Just a few hop skips and a jump back in time. Yeah, that's that's almost as old as you are. Nearly. But, nearly. Um, Pixar has had a run that is unparalleled, I think, in the history of cinema. They have made some of the most memorable animated movies. They've made some of the most memorable movies. Um, it was actually a Pixar movie that made one of our very first and one of our best podcasts ever, which was Inside Out, way back when, when we weren't doing this particular podcast. That's right. Um, I think that, that, that Pixar just has the ability to craft a really fantastic resonant story in a beautiful way. And it's rare that I go to a Pixar movie without tearing up a little bit. So when I saw the trailer for this one, saw that it was a father son story, which, you know, hits me right where it hurts. That'll get us fathers and sons a lot of the time. Right in the heart. Uh, it's just sort of one of those things where I thought this could be really good. Um, just to just to recap the the story a little bit, it it does feature sort of this this father son story in this once upon a time magical realm. Once upon a time in the here and now, sorta, yeah. kinda, yeah. It's it's sort of this alternate. It's place. an alternate reality, yeah. Where humans are like these elves, purple things. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it is. Exactly. Ever, no, no. I missed the first minute of the movie <laughs> no. because I was driving through. Oh yeah, five you were driving through in a, yeah. in a snowstorm. It's an alternate world. Yeah. Essentially, it's like if you took a Dungeons and Dragons world and made it super, super boring. That's the world. And plopped that, it down in suburbia. Exactly, exactly. It's it's this magical realm filled with elves and ogres and manticores and trolls that is not magical at all. Everybody is stopped doing magic because it's just hard. It's just hard. And so they use technology like the rest of us goofballs do, and it's much easier. But yeah. it makes for a much less magical place. The the two brothers at the heart of the story, Ian and Barley, they lost their father to a disease several years before. As a matter of fact, Ian, the younger brother, has never even met his father. Tragic. Tragic. Um, but they realize on Ian's 16th birthday that... The father left behind a magical, literally a magical gift in the form of this staff with this powerful gem at the heart of it. And it's a staff that can bring back dad for a day. Dad for a day. Dad for a day. They cast the spell. It doesn't work quite right. And they only get half a dad, and it's the lesser half at that. It's just his legs, essentially, up to his belt buckle. And so they have to go on this magical quest to find another gem to bring back the rest of their dad so they can see him for just a little while. And there you go. There you go. That's all we need to say. That's it. Yeah. So, Jake, what did you think about it? 
Onward was one I I think we talked when we talked about when you brought this up as being an anticipated one for you. I I've always said the trailer had not really struck me mm-hmm. in that way. And I think that that is a fair reaction. I've heard other people say the same thing. Yeah. And ultimately it ultimately like it it came out in the wash sort of the same way. It's a fun movie. There'll be a couple of chuckles here and there. More than a couple. But there's nothing that really stands out. It it ultimately, for me, didn't end up landing any emotional gut punches. There was a there was like a gut there was like a gut, you know, like tap. Like <laughs> hey, hey Like an elbow. A little, like a little, a little elbow, elbow, a little nudge, a little yeah. gut nudge. <laughs> like, hey, yeah, isn't that nice? It was very nice, you know? Uh and and I don't know like there weren't there were moments where I, there were moments where I chuckled, but I never laughed out loud. Mm-hmm. And there was nothing that you left never me laughed in, out loud. I don't think I ever laughed out loud. Uh, Outside of a, <laughs> your heart is dead, your soul is but, dead. And we've established that I will laugh out loud at films. Yes, on this very podcast, uh, it 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 ultimately feels middle of the pack for Pixar to me. Yeah, in that. There's nothing that I'm going to think back on and be like, do you remember when and onward? Like the way you do an up. Right. The way you – or the way you remember certain characters. Like do you remember that opening scene of the relationship between Carl and Ellie and up? Do you remember what it was like to see Buzz and Woody flying through the air off of the back of a you know remote-controlled rocket-propelled car and how creepy Sid felt or – do you remember what it was like to think about monsters and scaring children? Like there are so many memorable moments throughout the Pixar universe. You remember when you cared about a dumb little rat in Ratatouille or a robot in Wally? There's nothing in Onward that caught me that way, which is a bummer because I really like Chris Pratt and Tom Holland. I just don't feel like they ended up having the script to work with. Yeah, you know, it's an it's an interesting thing that you bring up. I think that it's a very serviceable story. Yeah. And to say it's a middle-of-the-pack Pixar movie, that's still really good. You know, when you look at, at Rotten Tomatoes, 15 of the 21 movies previously have, have gotten 90% Rotten Tomatoes ratings or better. Yeah. So... To say it's middle of the pack is still pretty still, darn solid. It's still a solid film. But I think that what you say is right. I I probably enjoyed it in some ways more than you did. And honestly, I'm going to pry about this, but because of the brother, the brotherly relationship, I thought that it might strike you in a different sort of way than it did me. I was... I did laugh out loud. I thought the Manticore character, voiced by Octavia Spencer, I believe, um, was hilarious. I thought she was very funny. Yeah. I thought the uh, there were a bunch of invisible sprites riding motorcycles that yeah. I thought were pretty funny. Yeah. Um, I thought that there were some some unique moments here. But the thing that strikes me looking back on it it didn't take the risks that I think the best Pixar movies take. Yeah. Um, Wally was in in many respects a silent movie. It it really dove deeply into sacrificing what would be a good quote unquote cartoon for a really deep resonant story. Up was incredibly powerful, and to start off the movie with fifteen minutes that are guaranteed to get you weeping. And then create this rollicking adventure afterwards. That's a daring choice. 
Onward didn't feel daring. It felt like it had some nice messages, some good messages with a really fun storyline, but it didn't feel that that resonance that I think we have been spoiled to expect from Pixar. Yeah, yeah and I think, you know, Pixar has done a good job of they don't they're not giving you the answer like this is sort of the cliche when it comes to Pixar that sort of is indicative of why they've had so much success and that in their best movies they're 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 giving you the pieces of the story but they're not telling you the answer you know they're letting you arrive through the story at the conclusions pulling out the messages they're not being sort of preachy about it right. and that was something that onward I felt missed as well in addition to uh, like you said, taking risks. It also felt like it had a formula and it told you the formula and it told you the answer before you even got to the end of the formula. Like it did not feel like a twist mm-hmm. in the end or didn't feel like, oh, all of this has been built. Like it was like, it was, they, I think they, in an attempt to sort of foreshadow where they wanted to go, they overdid it. See, and it became it ended up becoming formulaic rather than inventive in its storytelling of how it got you to have that aha moment. Right. It was like I, I felt like we were a third into the movie, maybe half, and it was like I know exactly what how the movie's going to wrap up. Like maybe not the exact particulars, but I know the story it's telling. It's already giving me the answer. And so there's there's you lose the magic of it in that sense for me. That is interesting. I would say that I did not have that quite that reaction. I can understand how you got to that point. Um, I don't think it's giving anything away to say that this is this is a father son story, but more so it's a brother story. You know, it's talking about the the relationships that that you form um, with with other family members when you feel that whole um, and and. Because I didn't see that coming as much as perhaps you did, I think it it had a little bit more of a pop. And some of the sacrifices that you see along the way, um, I have never had a brother. I've had a sister, and I've been an older brother to a sister. But I was wondering whether, because you have 37 brothers. That's right. And I was wondering whether it struck you. And you're the oldest of them all. Yeah. So you would have been the the barley here. So did you, I would have thought that you might have had a stronger reaction to that brotherly bond that you see in here. Yeah. I, I think part of it is that I, 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 I will, yeah, to your point earlier, I'll give it due for the fact that was it still didn't like totally miss the emotional mark. I still got I still felt my emotional heartstrings plucked as they made their final message. It just it, again, it was that gut nudge rather than that gut punch right. of emotion that I've come to expect out of Pixar films. So it was there. It wasn't like it wasn't there. Um I think the other part of it is that, is that although I would technically from an age standpoint stand in for the older brother in this context, um from a persona perspective, I was very much like opposite. I was the responsible, you know, dutiful older child. I wasn't. And so I already felt like one of the things that was hard for me in my childhood is there were moments where like my mom was sick and things like that, where I, I, 
much more visibly and my dad was working and stuff like that and we were homeschooled where like during the day I was sort of taking on that fatherly role anyway anyway right in many regards and I I didn't but per- more visibly in some ways but much more like like right again it wasn't like I was being told I was a dad but it was like hey mom's not feeling good dad's at work we got to get stuff done like I'm stepping into this type of role and so it wasn't like it was like it was very at the in your face, like at the forefront. This is kind of how the power structure is set up, and I didn't enjoy that as mm-hmm. an older brother. I did it. I felt like a duty to it, but I didn't like that I had this like in chart. I wanted to be a little bit more childlike in my interactions with my siblings. And you're making up for it now, uh, hopefully. Yeah, <laughs> like that's something I've you know I, I feel like I am trying to navigate with my siblings now, and that like because I had you know, a more paternal in at times type, like I felt like I did again, I had great parents. Like this is not a knock on. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, it was just sort of a natural byproduct of a time where I didn't feel like I had quite the same sibling bond that I might have if I wasn't sort of playing that paternal role, rightly or wrongly. Right. There's good and bad to it. But whereas now as an adult, I'm sort of trying to figure out like how to be their friend and not their, like father figure. Right. But it, it's it like now we're getting into a whole like, you know, therapy yeah. podcast. No, <laughs> but it really is interesting because I think that those relationships really impact how we see certain films. And, and that's an interesting point with Onward because as I watched it, I felt, you know, I was also the older brother responsible. My sister was was five to six years younger than I was the entire time. Unlike the entire time, the entire time. She never got any older. <laughs> she did get older. But anyway. You kept keeping pace, getting older yourself. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. My parents, I, I didn't, I never had to fill the role that you did because my parents were very much involved with, you know, us growing up. So I was just the annoying older brother, right? It, it made me, in some ways, and I granted, to get to the therapy podcast, this <laughs> I I have a big guilt complex anyway, but this made me feel like I could have been a better big brother. I could have been a better father figure. You know, all these all these types of emotions that you have when you see these relationships, even though the relationships you see on screen are imperfect, there's this element of when you're a kid, it gives you inspiration. When you're an adult, you see opportunities that have slipped away mm, sure. that don't come back. So there was a there was sort of a bittersweet quality to it. Even though I really appreciated the story, um, there was a certain bittersweet quality to it that I thought, you know what? There are some things that I could have done better. Weird that I would be thinking that that Barley would be a better big brother than I was, but <laughs> but there it is. Did you, you know, give your sister a call. And you drive back through the snow. Well, and that shows you what a bad big brother I am because I didn't give her a call. You're like, yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> it's, it's in the past. It's fine. It's, it's fine. It's fine. Now. She's good. She's I'm not good. Her older brother anymore. <laughs> I'm still just five or six years older. <laughs> you know, the other thing I, I'll mention this, and again, I I don't want to give anything away, but this was something that impressed me as I watched this movie. One of the things that Pixar does really well is that they often shut the story down with a really satisfying conclusion, even though the main characters may not get everything they want. You know, I think Disney, you always have the classic marriage 
live happily ever after, all that kind of stuff. That is not absent in Pixar movies, but there's always a bittersweet quality to it because there is something that the characters have missed. And that's something I've always appreciated about Pixar movies is that they emphasize that growing up and living life is not just about winning, it's about loss. And I think that this movie did that well. No, I I agree with that too. So there you go. Onward, Disney Pixar in a theater or a red box near you, depending on when you're listening to this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because it could could be, you know, you might be a, a future civilization digging up the archives <laughs> and listening to this you scratchy poor, poor soul. <laughs> you poor, poor listening soul. Listening to this as a part of your boring historical archives job. Now it's right. time for the best boys performances in animated movies ever. You may or may not have... You, maybe you should edit some of that Maybe you just so that I don't get fired. Maybe you don't understand how I just made that jump and why Paul and I are laughing right now. And if that's the case... Let's hope. Good luck. Let's hope. Welcome inside Rank Geeks. We're on hour three of podcast taping, so we're particularly smelly. That's we're not actually that far into it, but yeah, you know, it feels get, that we far. get smelly fast in this piece. Some of us do. Some of us. Some of us Some stay. Of us do. Paul's passing out mints because he can't stand I'm how rank r- these geeks are. I'm gonna rub the mints all over my face. But uh, we wanted to use this time to rank the best voice performances in animated films. Right. You're seeing more and more of them, I think. And, you know, honestly, I'm actually surprised that they don't have more actual awards categories for this. Because the the voice performances that you hear in, in animated movies, they can be they can make or break a movie. Let's Absolutely. just face it. If there is a good performance, it becomes in indelible yeah and we've you know although we talked about how sometimes we have these animated movies that just shoehorn in celebrities for the sake of shoehorning in celebrities this sort of uh expansion of who does voice talent has also lent to some pretty fantastic voice actors and performances i mean an honorable mention um for me in this because he didn't end up in any part- movies that, and hopefully I don't submarine Paul's list here. I don't think I will. Um, he didn't, I, as far as I've seen, he's not ended up in any movies is like Mark Hamill, for example. Oh yeah. Yeah. Super irritating as Luke Skywalker, in my opinion. <laughs> That's, I don't even know if you're legally allowed to say that. How? <laughs> well, it's like cops busted, sacred well, ground, <laughs> but fast forward 30 years and he's an incredible voice talent incredible. from the Avatar The Last Airbender uh, TV series, from uh, Batman video games. And uh, the Batman the Animated Series. That's right, Batman he's, the Animated Series. He is the quintessential Joker. So Forget Joaquin Phoenix. Forget good. Heath Ledger. It is Mark Hamill. And people. so, you know, that's a bit unexpected because his voice really grates on me in the, in the Star Wars <laughs> original trilogy i can't believe you just said and yet that. now he now i love his voice acting and so there have been good things for the expansion of who gets to be a voice actor so we decided we'd rank our favorite voice performances in animated films paul 
Do you have any <laughs> other honorable mentions? Oh, honorable mentions. I actually have a few honorable mentions, but I think I will I will I will unveil them as the them list goes on. Elsewhere. So let me start off with number five on my list. Number five on your list. This is one of the this is this is actually what I consider to be the beginning of the Disney Renaissance. You know, the seventies and eighties were a terrible time for Disney. They had terrible movies. Robin Hood, we won't even get into Robin Hood's great terrible there's some other real stinkers in there. The movie that started Cauldron. Oh, the Black Cauldron, that was not very good. The movie that started turning it around, even though it doesn't get recognized as such, is the Great Mouse Detective. And one Mm. of the reasons why the Great Mouse Detective was so good was because the main evildoer, Radigan, was played by Vincent Price. Good old Vinnie Pry. (laughs) You're right. The Great Mouse Detective absolutely gets lost in these conversations. It's really a good movie. It's a very strong movie. I don't think if, if it hadn't been for The Great Mouse Detective, The Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Lion King, Aladdin... I don't know if any of those would have happened. They would have just Disney would have tanked. Totally. We'd be talking about them in the past tense. Exactly. Exactly. They would have folded. So you can thank Vincent Price. Vincent Price, number five on Paul's list. Number five on my list, Peter Salas. Who in the heck is that? Who in the heck is Peter Salas? He's the voice of Wallace. <gasps> from Wallace and Oh, Gromit. that's a great pick. That is great. I very rarely give you props, but that Thank is a you. very nice Thank pick. You. So good and so enduring. Wallace and Gromit has been around for a while, and there's, they've made films within the last couple of years. Yeah. And he's so he's just got this charming, awkward British yeah. uh, tint to his voice that just brings this animation, this claymation yeah. to life in really a fantastic way. Like when, when you hear his voice, you think, ah, oh, that's Wallace. It, it, you totally do, and and the the funny thing is, those are those are such talk about underrated animated things. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess technically they it, there is a movie. You know, there's, there's the Curse of the Were Rabbit, That's but right. I think of the shorts more than anything else, and and they just are magical. They are really fantastic, and and I still to this day probably quote Wallace at least once a day. You should have tonight. Cheese grommet. Yeah. Would you like some cheese grommet? <laughs> <laughs> that was actually Paul actually greeted me that way today. I did. I did. What, what kind of cheese <laughs> would you like, Jake? What, what cheese would you like? Okay. Number four. On your Number list. four. Brad Bird. Good old Brad Bird from The Incredibles. Edna Mode. That is exactly right. She is one of the most enduring characters in animation i think she is just hilarious voiced by the director brad bird does a fantastic job of doing this crazy short designer who i just dig but do you think it's sexist that he took a job away from a woman and gave it to himself as a man well when the character was a woman that feels like a separate that feels (laughs) that a a trap question (laughs) (laughs) we'll we'll uh delve in that uh, there's another podcast women in theater all right it's fine (laughs) it's it's it was dealt with we dealt with that in shakespeare in love right and see you switch it off because a woman plays bart simpson right so is that, is that a fact? It is a fact. I don't know much about The Simpsons. <laughs> yeah, you've never watched an episode, right? I've never watched an episode. That's wrong. 
Wrong, 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 wrong. So Edna Brad Bird, The Incredibles. Edna Great. Mode. You can't have a cape, darling. <laughs> Number four Very on my nice. list. Uh, this one popped into my head like after I had made the list, and I was like, how did I not think of this? This is an incredible role, and he's played it in two different movies now. And the character is Snowball <laughs> from the film series The Secret Life of Pets, played by Kevin Hart. The, like the Secret Life of Pets, I remember taking my daughter to when she was I don't know three or four years old on a father daughter date, right? And I got free tickets to it somehow. I don't remember particularly how. I didn't have my screening pass yet, but I got us free tickets. We went to see Secret Life of Pets. It was totally a throwaway, and Kevin Hart blew my socks off <laughs> as Snowball. It is so good. Like I have watched it multiple times since. And I absolutely love it. Like, he brings this manic, violent energy into this cute, adorable little white (laughs) rabbit. And it works. Like, it is incredible. And another example of how they took somebody who has made quite a few leaps in his career. Right. From stand-up comedy to film. He's doing YouTube now and animated performances. Absolutely crushes it as Snowball. Like, the oh, it is Good. You you think about Kevin Hart, and he is almost an animated character in and of himself. I mean, he pl- he plays this this manic version of himself. It, 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 I have not seen any of the Secret Life of Pets movies, but I can picture Kevin Hart doing a pretty I good job. I highly recommend you at least watch the first one to see what he does with this rabbit. Like, it is worth it. It is good. it is so funny <laughs> and just insane. Like, it is good. Oh. And so that's why I've, I was like felt ashamed that it like it took a while to pop into my head <laughs> you because felt once it, yes, once it did, I was like, how can I not give him props? Well, like he blows it out of the water. It's like the Secret Life of Pets. Who's going to remember the Secret Life of Pets? You know, hopefully you we always never think forget. of of good movies for these good performances. But sometimes you have great performances in just you know fairly forgettable movies, right? Speaking of which, no, this is not a this is not a throwaway movie by any means. I am talking, of course, Finding Nemo. Mm. Three guesses who I'd be picking here. Um, Matthew McConaughey? Oh, my goodness. He, he doesn't even play the turtle. <laughs> no, Ellen DeGeneres. Yes. Ellen DeGeneres as Dory. I, I think that Dory is one of the most memorable cartoon characters we've seen in the last 30 years, wouldn't you say? Mm-hmm. She's... It is... A charmingly funny and tender performance. Yeah. She is. She is Dory. She. It, it's just great. No, uh, I can't. Like this. Um. Yeah, I, I mean, I can't argue with that. Ellen DeGeneres inhabited that character and turned Dory into somebody that we refer to as a separate entity. To Ellen, almost right. Like even though she is distinctly Ellen. We think of Dory as almost being her own sentient being because she infused so much humanity into that character. Yeah, you think about how strong the story was. You think about, you know, the 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 powerful father-son story, the adventure they go on. You have some really great characters everywhere, and yet somehow Dory steals the whole movie. I cannot I cannot fathom how bad Finding Nemo would be without her. 
without Dory. It wouldn't be that bad. <laughs> no, it would be a fine movie. Yeah. It would still be a but fine it, movie. It wouldn't be as good. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Uh, number three. Number three on my list from the year 2000. Sorry, my brain farted for a second there. Um, <laughs> and it is Cusco. Played by David Spade from The Emperor's New Groove. Oh my goodness. Now this movie in and of itself, like almost every character in The Emperor's New Groove, like what John Goodman did, what Eartha Kitt did, what Patrick Warburton did, what David Spade did, are all so good. Like you could, honestly, like I waffled back and forth on whether or not I should give this to Patrick Warburton for Kronk. Because he did such a fantastic job. And, you know, maybe tomorrow I would give it to, Pat, you know, Patrick Warburton for Kronk. But ultimately, David Spade is Kuzco, uh, you know, being the, like an anchor in the film throughout what he does in his interactions with all of the other characters. Because he's interacting with John Goodman and Eartha Kitt and Patrick Warburton. And he provides such this the perfect sarcastic foil, you know, in the midst of all this other buffoonery um, and be, ends up being a buffoon himself. And again, creates this character that I think of almost as distinct from David Spade. Like when you think about Cusco and the Emperor's New Groove, very underrated Disney movie as well. So underrated. So underrated. You think about, I'm just going to segue right into number two for me. Because I have Patrick Warburton as in the Emperor's New Groove. And and honestly, Eartha Kitt nearly made my list too. I think that, that it shows that the Emperor's New Groove was really like a master's class in voice acting because every single one of those voices just made the movie. And and I honestly don't know, this is going to sound ridiculous, I don't know if there's a, a movie anywhere, animated or not, that has a funnier last 15 minutes I just love Eartha Kitt as as the big mean queen, right? When she turns into that little cat, I just, I love that. And she was so great in that role. But Patrick Warburton got my number two vote just for squeakum, squeak, 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 squeakity, squeak, (laughs) squeakum. Emperor's the new groove. He brings, you know, the earnestness he brings to the role. Yeah, for those who have not seen Emperor's New Groove, goodness gracious, you need to run out and watch that movie. It is it. so good, good so film. good. Number two for me, I have said for at least a full two years now <laughs> that this is the definitive. In Real or fake animation, video game, movie, TV series, this is Batman. Will Arnett is Batman. In the Lego movie, in the Lego Batman movie, he just, he is another one that ends up stealing these films. Like, he does it in the Lego movie, which we've talked about a lot as a heart, you know, heartwarming twist and a fun pacing. Lego Batman steals the show and ends up feeling like to the point where they had to make his own separate movie that ends up being an incredible Batman film. And the, the, the deep gravel of it that Will Arnett brings to the ridiculousness of these Lego movie concepts works really, really, really well. And like really impresses you with Will Arnett, who you've seen be goofy in things like Arrested Development and other and other roles 
like what he's able to bring to a Lego figure is really quite astonishing. Well, I, th- I have to give him mad props for it. I think it shows something that they chose him as the host for Lego Masters, the, the new reality show. You know, I think he has been so connected with that character, oddly enough, uh, that he was just sort of the natural person to fill those shoes. Um, he does do a really nice job. I think I do not share the the weird fascination with him that you do, Jake. But have you still not fun. yet seen the Lego Batman? Movie? Oh, I have seen the Lego okay, Batman good. movie. Yes, I, I, I uh, have, and it was a fine movie. How do you think it's only fine? It was, it was just it's perfectly paced. It was fine. It's got laugh out loud moments. It's so, all over the place. It it was nothing it, bad ever happened to me. <laughs> It was it was a it was a very nice movie. I would actually choose Onward over over Lego Batman. Are you okay? The podcast is done. <laughs> All right, number one for you. Number one for me. I'm going back in the past to when voice actors were voice actors, and you never saw them anywhere else. But this defined. I think classic Disney movies, and that would be the voice of Eleanor Audley, who was Maleficent, the original mm. Maleficent, and the wicked stepmother from Cinderella. She has one of the most distinctive voices, and whenever I think of an evil woman, I think of her voice. She is also she also voices the uh, the Madame Leota from uh, from the Haunted Mansion. If you ride that ride, you'll hear her voice, and Never she is she has the most incredible voice. I love listening to her voice in a horrific sort of way. Hmm. Well, there you go. Though one of my honorable mentions was a classic uh, animated from a classic animated Disney film, you know. From 1967, though he did a lot of non uh, non animated acting himself, so it, it sort of is not quite in the same exact vein. But that was George Sanders who played Shere Khan the tiger. Shere Khan, in the see Book. that voice, that voice. Give I that would that was an honorable mention for me as well. Shere Khan, you know, I think Blue was great. That's a really popular voice actor, whoever Classic. he is. Yes, but but Shere Khan. Ooh, the menace in that! Like the deli- that is the quintessential deliciously evil. Yeah, it's it's a little like Jeremy Irons from from Lion King. Actually, he they had that same very British oily quality. Beautiful. <laughs> Number one for me, um, Ellen DeGeneres oh. as, as Dory in Finding Nemo and Finding Dory. Just completely endears herself as we already talked at length i was i was partially speechless earlier because i was like how do i want to go ahead and tip off my number one here or just let it ride but just let it ride yeah it's hard to argue with with ellen degeneres i mean she was she just defined that character so much to to think of somebody else voicing dory is a little like imagining somebody else other than harrison ford filling the uh the indiana jones hat yeah and you know she ruined a whole generation of kids for fish, <laughs> owning them, eating them. Not because Dory is just that adorable, and so again, adorable. She just inhabits it to this point where she steals the first movie, like Lego Batman stole the Lego movie, in a then, smaller and way, and then gets her own spinoff movie that breaks your heart and makes you laugh out loud. It was so. a surprisingly nice movie. Yeah, I, I think that that Dory is. It, 
I think Dory is my favorite fish. If we ever did a podcast on favorite fish, Dory might be number one. Probably start and end with Dory. (laughs) But not because, you know, there's... Jaws, Dory. Jaws, Dory. Not a whole lot of, like, really great protagonist fish out there. No. Like, I saw that, I saw that the incredible Mr. Limpet back in the day, and he's not a sympathetic fish. (laughs) And I like that nuts. That was a dumb movie. All right, what was the best voice performance in an animated film by your estimation? You can always let us know on Twitter. I'm at Jake underscore Roberson. I'm at E.C. Paul. Now it's time for the most least important thing. Here we are inside the most least important thing, the way we love to wrap up every single little show of ours, making mountains out of molehills and taking our magnifying glass, flipping them around and making those mountains look like molehills. Exactly. As it were. Exactly. Have you ever seen a molehill? Not impressive. You know, that's probably why they're said to be not impressive in other figures of speech as well. That's right. Antils. Antils can be impressive. Yeah, not really impressive on the outside. They look impressive on the inside, but from the outside they look pretty dumb. Have you seen those huge structures that yeah, they have in Africa? Yeah, some of those in Africa, like in Africa right? Yeah, those but are pretty... That's not the standard anthill. Okay, anyway. All right. Anyway. You know what I mean? You know what yeah. I mean? I'm talking about like just a big round pile of dirt. Yeah. Paul, what do you got for us today? You know, this will be the lamest segue ever, but but speaking of molehills, you know Diglett? No. You don't know Diglett? No. Oh my goodness. What's so, Diglett? So Piglet's did you not did you not play Pokemon as a child? I did not really play I I've, I've, I've dabbled briefly. Dabbled briefly. Yeah. So there was an interesting study done by Stanford a while ago that found they were trying to study why different areas of the brain light up. Like when you recognize a person's face it lights up a totally different segment of your brain than if you recognize a car. Mm. Even if you're a big car person, it lights up a different segment. And they were kind of wondering why this is, whether it Did had something to do with... they not watch Inside Out? <laughs> Apparently not. Apparently not. But Morons. So they were sort of thinking because about... Because Car Island is completely separate than People Island. <laughs> car Island, People Island. No, it, they, and they, they were thinking it had something to do with the, the power and the timing of when you see certain things. Like you you recognize people a lot earlier than you care about cars, right? So to do this experiment, they actually said, well, okay, how can we study this a little bit closer? And they thought, you know what? When you're of a very developmental age, there were lots of kids who were playing Pokemon all the time. And you were focused in on a little tiny screen dealing with these tiny little imaginary creatures and so they they actually took a whole bunch of old pokemon players people who had started playing when they were five or six years old Mm -hmm. they were now in their young adult years and they experimented on them just to see where their brains would light up when they saw pokemon characters and it was exactly where their moms and dads faces were that's how important that's how important those pokemon people were to those players so that's sad 
you Tragic. now know that your brain is a little more pristine than than those addled with Pokemon games. I had kind of figured you were a big Pokemon player. No, because it was sort of your age, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It was hugely popular. And again, I, I had a few cards. Like I just never got super into it. You know, there was a brief period where I was inter- like quite interested, but never madly deeply into this. You know, I tried to play a game here or there with somebody and we couldn't agree on the rules. And I was like, all right, let's play some football. So do you not even play Pokemon Go? I only dabbled with Pokemon Go when it came out just to kind of learn what it was all about. But I abandoned it really quickly. Man, you are a you are a sad, sad individual. You are a sad, strange little man. <laughs> Have my pity. <laughs> so anyway, Pokemon shapes your brain. There you go. Well, there you go. Well, my most least important thing is about dreams coming true in unusual ways. A few weeks back. (laughs) That's disturbing. A few weeks back, NHL history was set when the oldest person to win a regular season debut as an emergency goalie. 42 years old. 42 years old. Dude was, is a Zamboni driver. (laughs) It's a wild story. It's a crazy story. He is lives in Canada and is the emergency goalie on hand for this for the Toronto the stadium. Maple Leafs. Well, for their I thought stadium. He, yeah, exactly. For the visiting team. Apparently in the NHL they're required home teams are required to have an emergency goalie in attendance. <laughs> Not suited, just in attendance at the game. <laughs> and this 42-year-old Zamboni driver Got called in to be the emergency goalie after two goalies go down for the visiting team. Yeah. So now he's got to go play goalie for the, you know, the villains. For the villains. Exactly. What and if he hated the, the team? What if he hated the team? He comes in, he lets two goals in right away. Yeah. And things are looking pretty bleak. But then he stops eight in a row and they win the game. A 42-year-old becomes the oldest emergency goalie to ever win a game in hockey history there's only been three that have ever gotten in see it, in it, nhl history it really is amazing and his minor league hockey career had ended almost a decade previously because he needed a kidney transplant and got a <laughs> kidney from his mom <laughs> that i did not know and so here he go here he is almost a decade later with his mom's kidney winning an nhl hockey game after two goalies got like blasted and knocked out of this game, he has to go play for the opposing team and wins the game. So my question is, like, it, do you know what period he came in? Uh, let me double check. I believe he came in in the first, maybe the second. So if he was the Zamboni driver, does that mean that he played, like, the second period and then needed to hop on his Zamboni, drive around, do his thing, and then play the third period? Uh, I don't believe that he was a Zamboni driver for... That evening? For that evening. Oh, that would have been a better story even yeah. yet. Um, I'm trying to see. He he was a Zamboni driver for a like a minor league mm. hockey team. Um, gotcha. I thought he was like the Zamboni driver for the team, which would have been great. That and would then have he been could've... really cool. That would have been like an, you know, uh, the field goal kicking, trash picking Philadelphia phenomenon right there. That would have been a Disney movie. That's that right. definitely would have been a Disney movie. He came movie. in in the second period of the game. Yeah. After, like, literally the way the second goalie got injured was he took, like, a full-on massive headshot 
at full speed and just collapsed on the ice. Hockey is not a safe sport. And so it's like, hey, buddy, you got to go in. We've killed the first two goalies. <laughs> You've got a your mom's old kidney. <laughs> you just sit around driving Zambonis for minor league teams. You're in. And you win. Really, that's an indictment on hockey that, you know, all <laughs> yeah. Forty-year-old uh, men who haven't played hockey in a decade can come in and win an NHL game. <laughs> oh, on man. second thought, this is a really dumb story. Don't pay any. Attention. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Shout out to you, David Ayers, for for winning. Way to go! Way, Way to go. go! That is pretty awesome. It is pretty like, awesome. I, I honestly dream about that. You know, getting called in to be an NFL quarterback and win the game. So you know, as an you, old man. So you literally dream about that. Uh. Not literally dream about it, but like figuratively, like I do sort of have those moments where like, it'd be really cool. Cause it almost happened to me once in my life where you became an NFL quarterback, not an NFL quarterback, but like I always wanted to play like division one college football, right? Gotcha. Ended yeah. up being too small, got rejected by one of the colleges that was looking at me cause I wasn't big enough and I didn't throw the ball enough in my high school system. And so I went off to a small little NAIA college in Nebraska called Hastings Love Hastings. Paul, Love Paul Hastings. had spent his formative years in yes. college. You probably um, still saw my graffiti over there. That's right. And and then as I'm there, I see I get word that the Washington State, the school that had rejected me, is holding open like passing out flyers on their campus, holding open tryouts for quarterbacks because all of their quarterbacks got injured. Really? And they just were like, we need somebody off the campus to step in and play quarterback. And I was like, ah, oh, I could have been there stepping in to play quarterback. But I you went off to this little school. You could you could have been in the NFL right in, now. I could be in the NFL. I could be Drew Brees. Yeah. I could be like Russell Wilson right now. But then you would have missed out on this podcast. That's right. You guys wouldn't sad. have this awesome show to listen to. So yeah, I used to dream about you. I used to literally dream about being a rodeo cowboy. I believe that. Yeah. Yeah, I was a pretty good what bareback rider in my dreams. Bareback? Yeah, no, I was a I was definitely a bareback rider. I figured because, you know, when I covered rodeo, I figured that is one thing that I might be able to do. I might be able to just hold on for dear life and because really bareback riding, the the only thing you it looks like you have to do is lean way back on the horse and your legs fly around like that <laughs> and and so I figured if I could if my grip was strong enough I might be able to do that. I'd pay a lot of money to see you do that. <laughs> you know, oh, you should do that man. as marketing for your next book. <laughs> do bareback riding. Oh, goodness. I did mutton busting when I was a kid. Did once, you really? One time. <laughs> Didn't did last very long. <laughs> well, the poor sheep probably couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> it just collapsed and then I rolled off. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was, a, sad, it was a sad day. <laughs> Wow, making bad <laughs> jokes about six-year-old Jake now, huh? What a jerk. Oh, did, you know. I guess I better get out of your house so, now before things so get worse from here. So many podcasts, so many podcasts. Uh, that's it for this time. As always, you can catch us catch up with us on Twitter. I'm at Jake underscore Roberson. I'm at AC Paul. Tune in next time when we do a completely silent podcast <laughs> based on A Quiet Place Part 2. <laughs> That sounds nice. We'll do the whole podcast in sign language. Yeah, yeah. The the listeners might be a little disappointed. <coughs> we'll follow a long line of bands who have done completely silent tracks. <laughs> but until next time, I'm Jake. I'm Paul. We'll catch you on the flip side. Bye.
are my mints? Did you steal all my I mints? I have not I touched I... your mints. I didn't see you bring them up, though. I saw them on your counter at last. Do you want to go get a mint? I'm going to get a mint. You need a minute to get your mint? You can start without me, and then I'll speak. 